0: If you will, take your Bibles and join me this morning in Romans chapter thirteen, as we come to the conclusion of chapter thirteen, um, we are going to take a break from uh, from Romans for uh, probably the probably won't pick back up with it till the fall, and so I uh, don't want you to think. Uh, in the weeks to come that we have forgotten all about it, but just kind of give you some direction. Next, next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday, right? I mean, that's, it's the week we live for. I mean, it's the week while we live. And so uh, in, 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 in the preacher world, it's Super Bowl Sunday. It's always the biggest crowd you get to preach to. And, and the other part of it is, it's the easiest Sunday to invite somebody to church. Because if somebody's ever going to come to church, next Sunday is going to be that Sunday. And so I I hope you're already picking out those people that uh, you want to invite. And let me just say to those of you that are are, are grandmas and grandpas, uh, real easy way to get uh, uh, grandkids to church and sons and daughters to church. So next Sunday is the only Sunday I would give you permission to guilt trip somebody into coming to church. But go ahead, take advantage of it, leverage your, uh, um, you being the patriarch of the family to your advantage, and uh, hopefully next Sunday we'll, uh, we'll pack this place out. A uh, couple of items real quick before we get into the sermon. We have a lot of people traveling today. We have people, uh, several families down in the state of Florida. Um, you've got uh, Chuck and Annette who Annette still remains in the hospital over in Birmingham after having to have a second surgery Um, just recently. So Annette's had two surgeries inside of 14 days. Uh, Talked to Chuck. It was either Friday night or Saturday or yesterday. I can't, days are running together. And it looks like they may be in the hospital for another week. Hopefully she'll be out before Easter and so, uh, let's just continue to, to pray for Chuck and Annette, and if you guys are watching online, we are thinking about you and praying for you this morning. Uh, it's good to see Miss Gloria here this morning. She had a little stroke episode uh, about two weeks ago, and um, I asked her how she was doing this morning. She goes, you know, it's just like what Jesus did for my sin. She goes, it's gone, I have no effects of it, and she has no effects from the stroke, so yeah absolutely. you know I told her i said you you are my constant reminder that of what the scripture teaches us concerning death, and that is <laughs> you will not leave one second ahead or behind schedule when it's your time to go, it's your time to go and she reminded me and i and this is how time flies because you realize it was ten years ago this week that we planned my funeral because she was Given the death sentence, there's nothing we can do. Uh, We are going to send you home with hospice. She's still the only person that I personally know of who outlived hospice. And they had to quit and go back to go to somebody else's house. And so the Lord has just been, uh, and she'll give him all the credit. He has just been good to her in so many ways over the years. And um, she is such an encouragement to me as I know she is to all of you. And so uh, so let's just continue to pray for those that are struggling with illness, let's continue to pray for those in our country who are still dealing with coronavirus, that is still ongoing, that's very, uh, it's a very real issue in our country, those who lost houses and lives this past week, it's been another, you know, Alabama spring, right, where we deal with uh, tornadic destruction and so... Um, let's continue to remember those folks and, and help in any way that we can. If you know of somebody that needs help that we might could help in some way, please reach out to me and uh, and let me know about that, and we'll do all um, that we can. So next Sunday's Easter, bring somebody with you. And then after that, we're going to spend a couple of weeks uh, revisiting... Um, some core values that we have as a church. I think it's probably a good time coming out of everything that we've been through to kind of reset ourselves. And, um, you know, we're, we're we're making that way back towards normalcy, you know, getting back to doing church normally and getting back out into the community. And, you know, hopefully there's some restrictions that are going to be lifted soon. and And a lot of what we're used to is going to start returning to us. And so, I thought it'd be a good time for us just to go back and kind of refocus after a year of being pretty much separated and disjointed, and we still are this morning. We, we still have those in our faith family that are still watching us on live stream and are not yet ready to come back and, and, and be a part of us in this setting, and so um, I just want to kind of remind us all about who we are as a church, what we believe. Um, you're going to see some stuff. On the outside and the inside over in the gym, that's going to help communicate that um, in newer and better ways. And so we are, um, we're, we're going to spend a few weeks just reminding ourselves of why we exist as a church. And that should get us to the summer, and we're going to do something this summer. Curtis kind of reminded me of it, and I thought, you know, it's a good idea. It would be a great time to revisit that. But several, a couple of years ago, we preached through the Psalms. During the summer, just random psalms. And so we're going to go back and spend 13 weeks this summer uh, preaching through various psalms. So if you have a favorite psalm that you'd say, Hey, Brother Jason, I'd really like for you to preach from this psalm. Or just a psalm that you'd like to hear a sermon from. Let me know. And I'm not saying it'll, it'll make it. But uh, I'll, I'll read it, pray about it, and consider it. Uh, if you have a favorite psalm. I'll go ahead and tell you I'm not doing Psalm 1 or 23. We pretty much wore that out here, uh, so uh, if you got something else outside of Psalm 1 and Psalm 23, um, I would be, I, I'd love to hear from you. So let's finish up Romans chapter 13 uh, this morning. So uh, I've, I've tried to remind you the last couple of weeks of kind of that 2 a.m. phone call, kind of how... Preachers are, are taught to approach the text. And so this morning, this one, this one didn't take too much thought this week. This is probably, out of all the weeks of preaching recently, this one came pretty easy. And that is, the urgency of eternity should motivate us to get up, get dressed, and get busy. I think anybody can remember that this morning. The urgency of eternity should motivate us to get up, get dressed and get busy. What's interesting here this morning before we read the text is is Paul takes a slight shift in what he has been doing uh, since chapter 12 verse 1 where he's pretty much laid out for us the the motivation for Christian living is simply as Christians we have experienced the mercies of God. And that 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 solitary experience that happens when a person moves out of death into life, when someone puts all of their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and, Lord and Savior, is that that experience of the mercies of God should forever be a sufficient fuel for Christian living. But yet, it's interesting because in this close of chapter 13, remember there's still three chapters left, 14, 15, and 16 to go, but as he's closing out chapter 13, he he kind of changes his uh, uh, exhortation of motivation. He, he, he kind of adds something in as though if the mercies of God are not enough to get you going in the right direction. And I like what David prayed for us this morning, that uh, uh, it, it, it should be sufficient enough to keep us daily renewed in our faith. But Paul knows himself, he knows the human heart, and so he says to us this morning, look at these verses. He says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness... And put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousies, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires." So the urgency, this is what he's doing. He is urging us in the light of eternity, in light that we are closer now to the completion of our salvation. We are closer now to the return of Christ than we've ever been. That in and of itself, the urgency of eternity, should motivate us to first get up. To get up. You see, every believer this morning is prone to to lapse into A state of sleep or a state of stupor. It's interesting that this word uh, uh, for sleep here in the original language is also uh, uh, akin and has a root of the word hypnotic. So some translators, it just depends on who you're reading, some commentators say that this is more than a sleep, this is more of a kind of a hypnotic state. That people find find themselves in and so as I was thinking about that I I I thought well maybe it's like this have you ever been in that place where you're you're asleep but you're not quite asleep I mean like you're you you, you're kind of checked out of what's going on around you but yet maybe you still hear the tv playing you you still hear people talking but but by and large you're pretty much disengaged from from what's going on. I really think that when Paul is writing this, this is what he has in mind, that maybe these people haven't totally fallen asleep, but yet they have been lulled into this hypnotic state, this state of disengagement, this, this state of where where they are aware of what is going around them, but yet they have no engagement in what's going around them. But he could also just simply mean that they are absolutely positively asleep. And so what I would just say to you this morning is it could be all of that and not just one particular aspect of that. Such a stupor is brought on according to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 that we refer to so often. It's brought on by our failure to follow the teaching of chapter 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, right? But be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. But what was the verse before that? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable act of worship. Or again, offering your bodies as a living sacrifice is the only thing that makes sense in the light of your experience of God's mercies. Failure to present oneself daily as a living sacrifice, that is the very first step towards spiritual sleep, spiritual slumber, spiritual stupor. Failure to present oneself as a living sacrifice leads to to the next step, which is world conformity. And, And conforming to the world simply prevents you and I from experiencing exactly what the Bible says that we must experience, and that is spiritual transformation. You see, Christians, real Christians do something that others that call themselves Christians don't do. And that is they grow. They grow. If you, met, if you meet somebody who calls themselves a Christian and they're not growing, or they have not grown any from the day that they supposedly had a salvation experience, they're not a Christian. Christians grow. That's what we do. We're born into this faith as what? Babes in Christ. We were uh, uh, talking this morning, and um, um, Brandy was holding Rosie and... She said, it just seems like Rosie was just an itty-bitty baby. You know, like she was just born and look how big she is now. And I'm like, that's what babies do. They don't stay itty-bitty. They grow, right? Well, that's what Christians do. That's what Christians do. We grow. We grow. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. And we're just going to run through some verses uh, here this morning just to kind of remind us that this Uh, called to be a living sacrifice is is not just found in Romans 12, but it's, it's found in several other verses. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Now watch, I highlighted what's important here. You are not your own. You are not your own. Why are you not your own? For you are bought with a price. You see, Christians do not possess the right to live the way they want to live. Unless they're not really Christians. You're not, listen, as a Christian, you're not autonomous. You don't get to make up the rules and the regulations. You don't get to really choose what you want to do and not want to do. What you do is you get to do what God tells you to do. That's what it means to be a Christian. So you were bought with a price. Might I add, it was a very expensive price. Now, Paul goes on in the very next chapter, down in verse 23, and look what he says. Undoubtedly, this must have been a big struggle in, in Corinth. Because he says, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. It's, I know it says bond servants. is the word doulos. We've already preached a sermon on this. That word is always translated slave. We don't translate it slave in our English Bibles because... Uh, 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 of the uh, offensiveness of slavery in modern America. But trust me, this word means nothing more than slave. And so you are bought with a price. Don't be a slave to men, be a slave to God. And guess what? When When you're a slave to God, you have no rights. And listen, some people will hear that, and they will cringe, and they will think, what an awful thing. No wonder I don't want to be a Christian. Well, let me just ask you a question. How good of a job do you do of running your own life? And some people are so prideful, they think they do a pretty good job of it. Listen, the idea of slavery there is God is just simply reminding us, He knows better how to do life than we do. As a matter of fact, he came down to earth and he showed us how to do it perfectly. And he's saying to you and I, trust me and my word in what I'm teaching you. Uh, 2 Peter 2.1 But false prophets also uh, arose among the people. Now watch what's happening. Just as there were'll be false teachers among you, keep watching who will secretly did you notice that secretly under the radar, mixed in with some other truth, bring in destructive heresies. Watch what the destructive heresy is, even denying the master who bought them. Oh boy. <laughs> This is so where we are today uh, across the Christian landscape is that, that, that we have preaching and teaching and books that are being written that basically contradict everything that I just said. It, it, is, it is heresy. It is false teachers. It's intermingled with other truth, But, but in the end, what happens is, is that uh, uh, what is being taught is you can have a salvation that doesn't require... Any sacrifice, you can have a salvation that 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 doesn't require you giving up your autonomy, giving up your rights. Uh, there, there, there's no such thing as a, a salvation that brings you in as a slave of Christ. And guess and and look at what the consequence is: bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Why do you think so many people come in the church and out the church and in the church and out the church and in the church and out the church? Because I tell you what, if we would get back to preaching the gospel, we probably would have less baptisms but more true conversions. And I've told you now almost 13 years... I got I got fed up a long time ago with numbers and 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 people, you know, walking the aisle one after another and and the hyped up, trumped up, you know, uh, you know, get people to come forward, let's see how many people we can baptize this year. I'm all about baptizing people. I I'd, I'd love to baptize people each and every week. But not at the expense of the gospel. I want to baptize people that are truly coming to faith in Christ that are that are true converts, not people that have been manipulated or twisted or, or given some kind of gospel that says, "Hey, come c- come, just add Jesus to your life." I don't I don't believe in the adding Jesus to your life. I believe you come to Jesus and he gets all of your life and you lose your life and in losing your life you find your life. Y- y'all agree with that kind of gospel? That's the kind of gospel I want people to buy into because it's the only gospel that's real. That's what Jesus says. You save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. What do you think he means by losing your life? That means giving up your right. Surrendering. You remember that good old Southern Baptist word? I surrender all that him that... We sung, if we weren't singing just as I am, we're singing I surrender all at the end of you know, every, every Sunday service. That's what it means. That's what it means. Satan rocks Christians to sleep with songs of self and not selfless love. He twists scriptures such as the one we looked at last week. And just the end of it is what I want to look at. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Satan's strategy is self. The Savior's strategy is selfless. It's not learn to love yourself and then you will uh, love others. It's love others as you already love yourself. Nobody in here has a problem loving themselves. Don't give me that. That's just a, you know. If I can say it. That's a crock. That's what that is. That's just a crock. That man's just a made-up, fabricated, big old nasty lie. That's all that is. Everybody's got clothes on this morning. Y'all all look like you showered. I didn't smell. I don't smell a funk floating in the air. You know. It, I think we all pretty much like ourselves. Loving ourselves is not the problem. It's loving others as we love ourselves. That's what the Scripture is calling us to. Undoubtedly, those to whom Paul was writing had fallen under Satan's sway. They had fallen asleep and were failing to bear Christianity's distinguishing mark. You remember I said that last week. What is that mark? It's the mark of love. How How will they know that you're my disciples? That you love one another. They failed to love others. Why? Because they first failed to love God. You can't love other people if you're not loving God. Oh, I, and you say, Oh, I love God. I love Him with all my heart. Do you, do, do you know the acid test for true love? If you love me, you'll do what I say. God is not into lip service, He's into heart service. You, you, you can roll those words off your tongue. All you want, but if there, is no, if there is no obedience behind that, then it's just empty words. Read Isaiah 1 and, and find out what God thinks about empty worship. He doesn't think very highly of it. And, and even over in the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks one last time before Scripture is closed out. And He says uh, these words, He says, I know you are enduring patiently, this is the church at Ephesus, and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. So this is a solid church. I mean, look at what they're doing. Enduring patiently, bearing up for his name's sake. They have not grown weary. Undoubtedly, they are working hard, and they are under a lot of stress as a church. But but look, but I have this against you. How 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 many of y'all know when Jesus got something against you, that's not good? What did he have against them that you have abandoned your what? The love you had at first. The love you had at first. So if you're going to love others as you love yourself, you must first love God. That's where it starts. And loving God is it is expressed in offering yourself as a living sacrifice. But follow these words in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse two through seven. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. You're probably familiar with these verses. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Watch, 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 watch. But you are not in darkness. Does that sound familiar from the text we read today? Brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, so then, because that's who we are, guess what? Wake up. Don't go to sleep as others have gone to sleep. But let us keep awake and be sober. So, what is it going to take? It's going to take some effort on our part. It's going to take some realization on our part. It's going to take a reality on our part to realize that we must fight to keep ourselves awake and to keep ourselves sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Be sober minded. Look at what Peter says Be sober minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he he may devour. You know, I hope you believe in a real devil this morning. I hope you don't fall prey to what C.S. Lewis said: is the 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 two ways that that Satan works in our world. He either gets people to see a devil under every rock. Now he's not in everything because he's he he can't be everywhere. He is he's not. Uh, omniscient, he doesn't know everything. Uh, he, he, he's not omnipresent; he can't be everywhere. But but he's got his cronies, right? Demons uh, that that his underlings that work for him. But he's always on the prowl. So so Lewis said, "Don't don't see Satan in everything." But he said, "But don't fall prey to the other." way that satan wants you to think about him. If he if he can't make you think of, think that he's in everything, he'll make you think he's in nothing. That he doesn't even exist. He's real. He's an adversary. He's described as a lion, a lion seeking whom he may devour. Every believer no matter his or her maturity level is prone to this to fall asleep. We fall asleep because we do not heed this warning. To remain watchful. Scripture puts its commands in what's called the habitual tense, or the ongoing tense, or what's called the present tense, which simply means it's something that once it starts, it never ends. It's a habitual state. Why? Because, what does our text say? Satan never ceases. He takes no days off, no holidays, no vacations, He is vigilant, and this is why the Scripture calls us to be likewise. What causes us to fall into these states of stupor? Well, there's a lot of possibilities, but I'm only going to deal with one this morning, and it's put forth right here in the text, and that is Satan's favorite tune is conformity. His favorite design is conformity. His favorite look is conformity. His favorite show is conformity. His favorite hobby is conformity. Just as a mother cradles her newborn baby and sings it into sweet sleep, so Satan does with God's children. Listen, he cannot cannot take your soul to hell, so he attacks your spiritual health. Oh, What Satan loves is just anemic Christians. That's what he loves. He loves for Christians to stay on the bottle. He loves Christians to remain in almost a state of infancy. He loves to get Christians mad at each other and frustrated with each other. And he loves to get Christians fighting and bickering and arguing with each other. Uh, he, He loves to... He loves to get Christians to conform to the world because you see, all those things that I just mentioned are all the ways that the world acts. That's just conformity to the world. How long has it been since your hearts burned inside for Christ? How long has it been since others have seen or experienced your zeal for Christ? How long has it been since you spoke to others about Christ? How long has it been since you stood for Christ? How long has it been this morning? Paul has used the mercies of God as motivation to Christian living and he's now uses eternal urgency. Listen to this morning. This is not hyperbole. This is not some preacher trying to work you up into a, a frenzy or to get you to do what you're supposed to do. The Bible tells us that there, this is an urgent matter, that time is running out, there is... No time to waste. This is Lexington, Massachusetts, April 8, 1775. But it's not the British who are coming. It is Beelzebub and his army who are already here. And he has but one goal in this world. is to take as many people to hell as he possibly can. That's the truth. You know, when I read the Scripture, hell is a real place that people who will not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and live for Him will go. That is a reality. But listen, the Scripture says that hell was made for Satan and his demons. And you may think you have all the time in the world. And again, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to worry you. I'm just trying to bring a little bit of smelling salts into your life, a little bit of reality in your life. Uh, look at the people that died uh, just this past week, five people in Calhoun County, four in Ohatchee, one in Wellington. Look at the ages of those that died. There were those who, yes, were they were they probably closer to death? Than most, absolutely. But there were others that you look at their age and their date of birth and you would think, boy, they got a lot more living left in them. Listen, none of us really know how close we are to the end. And I'll just say this to you this morning. You're a lot closer to, to it than you really think you are. And right now, the only reason why the synapses in your brain are firing and, the, and your lungs are taking in and out air and your heart is beating in rhythm and everything about your body is functioning, it is because of the grace of our loving Lord. He keeps you moving. He keeps you living. And at any moment, he could say, today is your day. Why? Because He has already determined that day, long before the world was created, the the day of of your birth and the date of your death have already been preordained. The problem is you don't know when that is. And so the Lord says to those who don't know Him, you better wake up and you better realize that if you don't turn and trust Me, that there is an eternity that awaits you That no Hollywood movie could ever portray the horrors of what that is going to be like. But listen. But he's saying to Christians as well. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Why? Because broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many there are that find it. What is he talking about? He's like, the, the road to hell is, I mean, it's a 80-lane highway. And there are millions of people that are on it, billions of people that are on it right now. Wake up, Christians. There's a race to be run. There's a fight to, there's a fight to be fought. There's a duty to be performed. There's a, there are prayers that needed to be prayed. There is, a, there is your neighbor, friend, coworker, or acquaintance that needs your gospel witness. There is a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. There is a light that needs to be shined in the darkness. And there is salt that needs to be spread in a land of degradation. Wake up! It's time is running out. Our final days are closer than we can imagine. People's hearts are growing colder by the day. The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Life is short and eternity is forever. No man knows the day or the hour of his return. And God is not slack concerning his promises as some believe. So wake up and get dressed. Get dressed. What does he mean by get dressed? Get dressed. Well, what does he say? He says, back in uh, 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 verse 12, he says, The night is far gone and the day is at hand, so look, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. What is he saying? Quit being conformed to the pattern of this world. Be like David. Be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Be like other great men and women of God all throughout the Bible who resist conformity to the world in order that they might be a voice of God in their world. To their friends, to their family, to their acquaintances, to their co-workers, to their neighbors, to all that those uh, to whom they come in contact with. Cast off... Conformity to this world, and do what? And do what? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Put on Jesus? What, is it, what does that mean? How about I give you the simple southern version of that? As you get up, and every day, before you look another human being in the face, You look God in the face. You get up and you start your day with Him. You get up and you make yourself ready for what lies ahead. You get up and and, and 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 you get in the Word and, and and you spend time in prayer and you prepare yourself as a soldier would before he steps out onto the battlefield. That's what you're doing. You're getting up and you're getting dressed. Why? Because you're you're about to step out into warfare. You're you're about to step out into a raging battle. And listen, sometimes you don't even have to get out of bed for the battle to start. Huh? I mean, how many of you realize, it's like the moment you wake up, you realize, I mean, there, there's something right there in front of you. There, there, I mean, it's like, I, you know, you, you wake up into the battle. And that's the reality of it is, is that the battle never that never ceases. And so you and I must get up daily and we must get dressed for the battle. Why? Because, as it says, there's all kinds of temptations that are out there. He doesn't put all the temptations. That's not the exhaustive list of temptations. But nonetheless, there are temptations that await us. I wish I had time this morning. I'd take you over to Colossians chapter three, verse fifteen through seventeen. I think it's in your notes, and so you you'll, you'll want to look at that. Just read through that. That's that's what he means by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what awaits us. This confrontation every day why because you've got this enemy on the outside named Satan who is firing fiery darts at you all the time who is trying to entice you and lure you into sin why because he doesn't want you to be a witness for Christ he doesn't want you uh, uh, to be a voice of the good news of Jesus Christ to to people that that are dying and on their way to hell he doesn't want that and so he he when you wake up the onslaught is on. But listen, not only are you being attacked from the outside, but you've you, you got an enemy on the inside too. It's called sin. You still sin. You had not gotten rid of it. You won't get rid of it. It, it, it. You know, it's powerless, really. And you say, well, if it's powerless, then how, why is it so effective? Because you give it power. You give it Power. You know, this light, these lights back here, they're no good if they're not plugged into that power source. And so when he says, uh, make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires, you know what you've got to do? You've got to know what your desires are. You've got to know what your, your sin is. You've got to know how you, where you fall easily. And you know what you've got to do? Just like if I want cut to the, cut the light out, all I need to do is unplug it. You see, what Satan's trying to do is, you are the light of the world, and all Satan wants to do is keep unplugging you out of the power source, and he wants you to plug into the source of, uh, of to gratify the desires. He wants you to plug into the source of the flesh. But if, uh, according to Colossians 3, it says we need to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And how do we do that? We unplug it from its source. We unplug it from its source. Jesus would say, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I mean, he's not literally telling you to do that, but he's telling you that sometimes you have to take extreme measures in your Christian faith in order to live as someone that is ready to do battle, that is ready to be that living sacrifice. Why? Because it is urgent. It is urgent for your life, not for your salvation, but it's urgent for your spiritual welfare And it's urgent for the welfare of others. And so we're to get up. And we're to get dressed. And then we we need to get busy. We need to get busy. And you say, Brother Jason, where do you where do you get, get busy from? Let me scroll through these little Colossian verses. I wish we could have got more into that. I mean, that's that's you need to read that. That's just rich reading. Look at verse thirteen of Romans thirteen, and we're closing. That's where you get busy. Let us walk properly. The word there, walk, um, is you could easily translate that. Let us live properly. Let us live properly. I was going to walk you through Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 because uh, Ephesians 4, 1 says, uh, as Christians, let us then walk and then it spends three chapters telling us what it looks like to walk. You know what it's telling us to do? David, uh, why don't you guys come on. Uh, what, what it's telling us to do is this. It's telling us this is how we live. This is how we we stay awake. This is how we uh, get dressed. This is what it looks like to be busy about God's work. So read Ephesians three through uh, four through six. Read Colossians uh, three five through seventeen, and you'll get a better picture of what it looks like to be busy. And I think you might be surprised at what you should be busy at and what you should not be busy at. But again, why is Paul... I mean, look, this is intense. The, 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 the language that Paul is writing in is emphatic. He is... I mean, this, again, I, I couldn't think of any better example than, uh, than Lexington, Massachusetts in, uh, April, on April 8, 1775 with Paul Revere riding through the countryside along with the other guys screaming, the British are coming, the British are coming. And this is kind of this is what Paul is doing he is telling the Romans wake up eternity is long this is an urgent matter that requires our attention you've fallen asleep you 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 have you have left your first love and though you may do that and still find yourself in heaven there'll be other people that are in desperate need of you being awake. Why? Because, what does the Bible say? How can they believe if they don't hear? Huh? Isn't that what it says? Somebody's got to tell them. Somebody's got to speak the good news to them. That's what we're called to do. That's why you're still alive and breathing here today. That's why the Bible says there's a harvest that is full. There, there are people that 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 are ready to accept Christ. What's the issue? Voices. Laborers. Workers. Because we're asleep and not busy. I want to ask you something this morning. Are you asleep? Have you fallen asleep? It's okay to admit it. We all do. And guess what? You might fall asleep somewhere down the road again. You might need another wake-up message, but listen, today is the day for you to wake up. Not just because you've experienced God's mercy, but because we are closer today to salvation than we were yesterday and for some people they are closer to hell today than they were yesterday listen we can't I want you to hear this last in closing and, close, and then we're going to sing a great song to close our service I can't quote it verbatim but I'll give you the gist of the quote. Spurgeon taught his congregation, he said, "You know what? We can't we can't prevent people from going to hell. And we can't make people go to heaven." <laughs> but he said, "I tell you what we are to do. We are to throw our bodies down in front of everybody that's on the wide road leading to destruction." and beg, and plead, and cry, and pray that they turn around and choose the narrow path. Spurgeon believed that so much that in the basement of the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church in London, England, they said that every Sunday there were two to 300 of the parishioners that would gather in that basement underneath the church while the great preacher preached, and all they would do was pray for God to convert the lost. And God honored that. Why? Because people were willing to lay down their lives in front of people and say, I love you. And you know what? Eternity is real. And it's coming sooner than you think. And I want you to make the right choice. Father in heaven, For those that claim to be your people this morning, this is a serious matter. This isn't a feel-good sermon. This isn't. This is a battle cry. This is the gathering of the troops in the tent pre-dawn before the battle. It is a reminder of why we fight the good fight of faith. We fight it, number one, because you are glorified in our fight. But we fight it also because your word says to go and make disciples of all people. Why? Because one day you're going to gather people of every tribe, nation, and tongue in heaven. And though you could easily do the entire work of salvation by yourself, you have chosen to Give Your people a part in that work. And our part is to go. Our part is to speak. And our part is to trust that once we've spoken, that Your Spirit, as we speak Your Word, that Your Spirit can move in hearts and lives and bring to life those who are dead spiritually. And so, Father, for those that are awake this morning... I pray that they would be reminded that they could easily be asleep tomorrow if they don't remain vigilant. And for those that are asleep this morning, my prayer for them is that you would wake them, shake them with the knowledge that we have no time to play. The battle is raging. There's casualties on every side. And we've been called to fight. So help us to get up, get dressed, and get busy. In Christ's name, amen. Why don't you stand and sing with us this morning.